You're focused on making important decisions to take your company to the next level. But who's counting? We are. Counting on trends and insight to move your business forward, operationally and strategically. Focused on helping executives achieve their highest potential. But Who's Counting is a podcast shedding light on and breaking down critical issues and opportunities for businesses. Brought to you by Anders CPAs and Advisors. In today's episode, we're visiting with Paul Ray, talking about the timing of businesses moving through the pandemic from stages like survival mode that we all were in to recovery mode and hopefully ultimately to expansion. We take a look at the next steps from a relief and banking perspective, including the government programs that are still left on the table and timing that you need to be aware of, tapping into the influx of cash in the current lending environment, the importance of building and investing in your banking relationship, and how to make your business overall more bankable. Paul is a tremendous advocate for his clients and has an extensive amount of knowledge as it relates to all the government programs that have happened over the last couple of years, as well as relationships with banking. Paul, thank you for being here today and welcome. Thanks, Dave. Question for you. Just so the audience knows the context of where you're coming from, give us a feel for your history, where you've been, what industries you've worked in, and those types of things. Well, you know, Dave, I was a lifetime banker, really. So no other experience other than the banking industry. But obviously, you know, there's a lot of things that we touch in that industry. So I spent 32 years here in St. Louis. So some would call me a career banker. But at, uh, at a certain age, decided that it uh, might be nice to look at other things. So that's how I ended up with uh, Anders, advising their clients around banking relationships and the programs that they have. Yeah, and I think it's great the value that you bring to your clients because it's really a unique perspective you have of, hey, this is the relationship you should have with your banker. I think that combined with your knowledge of the government programs is just amazing. As we've talked, I think, you know, in your mind, it seems like you cut things up into three slices, which is really the what we've been through through the pandemic, the business survival aspect, then the business recovery piece. Now what we're starting to see in 22 is some glimmers of business expansion. You know, one of the things you've taught me is that businesses are at all different phases as it relates to that. When you think about the survival aspect, I mean, you were key in helping clients through a lot of the government programs, the CARES Act, PPP, employee retention tax credits, all those types of things. Now, kind of looking back on that, you know, summarizing that for for clients, I guess, kind of where's your head on that? Is that something that's still relevant today for most businesses? Yeah, you know, it, it's going to be relevant for a, for at least two more years, I think. And the the challenges with, with all of these programs is you kind of have to think that on March 15th of 2020, we were in a little bit of a different world. And it <laughs> very much so. Yeah, clicked and switched overnight. So we went from things looking good to all of a sudden things looking bad from even a panic perspective almost set in because we didn't know what we were going to do. So all of these programs were thrown on the clients at one particular time. And how do you know how to take advantage of those types of things if you're not involved in this every day? So So in terms of those programs, kind of which ones stick out? You're saying it's still relevant for the next couple of years. I guess, which ones are you thinking in terms of forgiveness or are there still programs that you could actually take advantage of that started a couple of years ago? Well, I I think when we, when we take a look back, we're going to look at at four different areas, the PPP loans, obviously, which were for everyone, IDA loans, which were for everyone, Uh, some limited exceptions, but for the most part, all industries could take advantage of those. So Great, wonderful. We're going to get this huge program started, the largest stimulus package that we've seen in our country's history. And oh, by the way, banks, you're going to make about half a cent on any dollar, which isn't great for a banker, but we're going to ask you to do millions and millions and millions of these PPP loans. 
how you're going to move forward with that. Well, we're, we're still in the middle of that today, although there's no new funding. Forgiveness still will end up going through May and June for many clients, so it is still very relevant. It also ties in with other programs, you know, the, the IDA loans, the ERTC, which are, right now those can be uh, a 941Xs, which is the, the term we use for the document to get the refund of the payroll. You can go back three years. So clients could be dealing with this for the next two and a half years. So all of these programs that were old are still somewhat new. They're, they're connected. Got it. Okay. So I think, you know, there's been a lot of discussion. I think there's a lot of visibility around the PPP stuff, the Paycheck Protection Program. And so I think there's a lot of visibility on that. What I think snuck up on a lot of folks is the employee retention credit, the employee retention tax credit. I guess what you're saying is even if a business didn't take the employee retention tax credit, they can still do it. They should still, you know, would one of your pieces of advice being, you know, if you didn't do a thorough evaluation of that, you need to make sure you do that because the dollars on that for many businesses seem to be pretty significant. Well, that's true, Dave. One of the things that we're seeing is in many instances, the ERTC is actually larger than the PPP loans for clients if their businesses suffered in 20 and 21. So absolutely, you should take advantage of those programs. Many clients have looked at it and said, we're told that the IRS may take nine months to 12 months to provide that funding back. So is that something we really want to spend our time and our money on? Well, when you, when you think of the size of some of these versus the other programs, absolutely is, is something that every business should, should look at. And if it's not this year, next year, you, you need to pay attention to it. Because in some cases, that's millions and millions of dollars that potentially there for businesses. It can be. So what are we seeing in terms of, let's say that a business went through this two years ago, they filed whatever they filed, they got the benefits. Now, what are we seeing any surprises? Are we seeing that it's taking longer for clients to apply for forgiveness because the process is more complex? Are we seeing audits start to pop up? What are the trends that we're seeing on the, if you're on the other side of this and you're starting to think about forgiveness? You know, we think about it from the perspective of a timeline. And although banks would love for these all to be gone now, and I think all of us would, there's still an, a real critical timing piece that, that folks want to make sure that they're working through in conjunction with other programs such as the ERTC. Because as we all know, at first you couldn't have both PPP and ERTC. Okay. Okay. And then you could. But then if you could, you couldn't use it for the same expenses from a payroll perspective or doubling up, double dipping, as the industry like to say. With that in mind, it's still very relevant. There are clients that went through the process for PPP1, but mm-hmm. PPP2, they may take it farther down the, the road than I think the banks would like, but they have a legal right to do that. They have 10 months after the last day of their covered period And they're doing that to make sure they're availing themselves of all of the other programs that are out there, that they used all of the appropriate expenses. And if you think about a company, let's say a restaurant that needs to use other operational expenses, well, food is a part of that. Okay. How do you track a year and a half's worth of food costs? I mean, it, it takes a long time to do that, but it's critically important. So, uh, you know, they need to take a deep breath take their time through that process, but still make sure they're meeting their appropriate deadlines, which are going to start coming up on people in March, April, and May pretty quickly anyway. But it's important they they sit back, look at things, evaluate it, work with their advisor, move forward. Yeah. And I, I think that's a key point, which is you you deal with this every day and it's still complex in your mind. So for anybody that 
only gets a one-time shot at doing it, they really need to find an advisor that they can trust that really understands the rules about all the different programs to make sure that you're optimizing how you're approaching these programs. Yeah, correct. And, you know, I, I think to answer your earlier question, we really haven't seen any gotcha scenarios. Okay. And, and I think the SBA is living up to that that reputation. They said it at the very beginning, and, and it truly is that. If you used it wrong, you're going to be in trouble if you purposely did that. But at this point, we've seen a lot of success. Uh, we've seen very little issues on any audits, and we know those will start to come later on down the road as these programs start to, to reach maturity. But at this point, you have to sort of hand it to the banks and the SBA on this. They they did something that, that most folks thought they couldn't. It was very clumsy mm-hmm. uh, through the whole process. Uh, it was new. It'll end quickly. Uh, we hope we never have to do it again. But it, it seems to have served its purpose through the whole process. Yeah, okay. So the last question I wanted to ask you kind of in this this uh, business survival uh, segment is really, are the, are the banks happy with how this turned out? Was it helpful for them? Did it seem to help them cement their relationship with, with their, their customers? What, what's the, did they make money on it? Kind of what's their take on things looking back now that we've got a couple of years of this behind us? Yeah, based on my conversations, I think it, it did a couple of things. Number one, it served a need that was absolutely necessary. There's really no way this could have been delivered straight from the federal government. So the federal government looked at our, our banking brothers and sisters and said, can you do this? Mm-hmm. So banks want to serve their communities. So if they did that, that from the beginning to the end, that's enough. I think they did make a little money, but I, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of uh, bankers uh, lifting their hands saying, we'd like to do this again. But it, <laughs> yeah. it, it'll, it allowed them to service their existing clients mm-hmm. and I think get some new clients al- along the line. Community banks especially and, and even the larger banks, it, it really is. It, it sounds like lip service, but if they can serve the customers, the business is going to come. And I think think they did that. As I said, it was very clumsy and painful and and uh, I'm sure there was a lot of uh, gnashing of teeth and, and those types of things in oh, boardrooms. Yeah. But overall, I think they got it done. Yeah, I remember a, f- a fair number of stressful conversations that happened uh, during that rollout period. So, so Paul, thankfully, we survived. Obviously, it's been a very difficult time for businesses, for banks, for <laughs> the world. Everything's been incredibly difficult. But now, if let's say you – let's shift to talk about sort of the recovery aspect of this. If a, a business, so we talked about PPP, ERTC, all those types of things. Let, let's say they've done that, and now they're starting to emerge on the other side of it. They're getting more stability, and I, I would say that maybe you'd have a, a better look at the future, but I don't think any of us know that right now, given some of the things that are happening. In terms of, you know, obviously during that time, your relationship with your bank was critical. What should I be thinking about now if I'm a business owner? What conversation should I be having with my bank really about this this recovery, getting on the other side of the survival mode? Well, I, I, I think there are two things that are critically important once, you know, you sort of deem you're out of that survival and you're just ready to recover and, and move forward. Not mm-hmm. sure exactly what that looks like. Right. From a banking perspective, I mean, they're very interested in lending money right now. Non-traditional lenders, the same thing. There's a lot of cash floating out there. And, you know, the industry isn't sure exactly what to do with it yet. But what we do know is that banks have been in almost that survival mode as well. And, you know, now they're really looking to do some things from a a client favorable perspective in the lending environment. So the first thing I would do is sit down with my banker and find out the programs that they have, because no matter 
how much we read in the media, how much we work with our specific advisors, ultimately at the end of the day, the banker knows exactly the programs that they have. So why not take advantage of modifying some loan terms right now that in the past have been somewhat uncomfortable for you as a company? Well, you know, the banks have th- seen through this process that if you're going to survive, they're interested in continuing to do business with you. So the clients now have a little bit of an advantage that okay. they may not have had three years ago in getting some modifications on existing loan terms that are long-term. They may want to make them longer, may want to fix some interest uh, rates. I was, I was about to say, so what does that mean in terms of, is that a conversation, is that an arduous process to go through with your bank? Is it really just having a conversation? Is it about changing interest rate, changing length of the term, or kind of what does that mean for somebody that maybe is not that familiar with this? Well, you almost equate it as someone from a health perspective that goes through an illness and they change medications. Things are different than they were before. And that's a little bit what it is with your banker. He goes back to the thing I've preached from the very beginning is that relationship is critically important. Find a bank that has a banker that will consider it a true relationship because you can sit down and talk to him about that business. We were sick. We're feeling better now as a business. You can see that. Let's take a look at our current debt structure, and and here's what I think we need to do. Myself and as an advisor, I'm telling clients, talk to me. Let me help you build that discussion before you go to the bank. Okay. Make yourself more bankable before you go to the bank. You go with ideas. You and clients don't typically do that. They go with two things. They're either terrified to go to their banker, or they're they're ready to spar. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're ready to, to have Probably a because they've got a desperate need. Absolutely. At that point. Okay. Absolutely. And that's the worst time to talk to your bankers when you okay. have a desperate need. Yeah. Let's, let's take care of that before. Let's talk about that rising rate environment. Let's talk about those things and what can we do to maybe minimize uh, the cash outlay that I'm going to have over the next three years in payments. So let's talk about an interest only loan for six months and then term it out fix your interest rate, things that sometimes bankers don't like to talk about, but I promise you they would rather talk to you about those things than uh, uh, an ultimate bad decision that has to be made eventually when they have to call and say, your numbers aren't good enough. We've got a problem. You either need to find a new bank or something else. Being proactive with your, your banker can really make a, a big difference. I guess, you know, when I think about that, yeah, probably when most people go to their bankers, when there's a problem, and if you're having that discussion and dialogue earlier, it's it seems like that would make the relationship go better, be stronger. Without question, 100%. Okay. I can't be more um, more vocal about that. Okay. And I, I think your point was also good that when you do that, you need to have your, your act together. You need to have sort of, the, the, this is our thoughts, this is what our vision is. And then these are the questions or discussion topics we'd like to to raise with you and get your take on what your thoughts on this, rather than just going in and asking for one specific thing. And then if you get rejected on that, that's really the end of the conversation. Yeah. You know, I've talked to business owners every day. And one of the things I tell them is don't hide things from your bank. As an accountant, we, we talk to our clients and they love to tell us everything and we work through everything. But when they get to the bank, they sort of say, you know, I want to give you a piece of what I think you might need for this. Right. Ultimately, if you're requesting funding from the bank, and I, you know, I know it sounds like there's that ex-banker coming out in you, but really it, it's not. It's from an advisory perspective, whether I'm on the banking side or I'm on another side somewhere else, let the banker know the whole story, the whole situation, provide them with all the things you would provide uh, your accountant with. And w- when that happens, nine times out of 10, unless you just have a really bad relationship, mm-hmm. it's going to go 
far quicker and far better through the process than you could have imagined before. Okay. And I imagine bankers don't like surprises. No, never. And, and I think, you know, no one likes surprises when it comes to bad news. So let them know early because literally they're when bankers are sitting in loan committee or they're in centralized underwriting and all of those things, if they've prepared their presentation to their loan committee and they've answered those questions first, Mm -hmm. can't tell you how, how uh, much smoother that process goes than finding it out after the fact. That's a place that none of us want to be. Got it. Okay. So last question in this business recovery discussion, I guess when I think in terms of a business's balance sheet and capital structure, are there things that just based on what everybody's been through the last couple of years that businesses should be thinking about? Are there strategies or particular things that you would suggest that you, you really need to step back and take a look at, at these couple of topics? You know, let's look at the uh, asset and liability side for a moment. Hoarding cash really felt good during the uh, the pandemic, but hoarding cash and not utilizing that in different fashions is, is never a good strategy when you start in that recovery and growth perspective. So I'm not saying go out and spend all your cash. That's not what I'm doing, but utilize that work with your use bank, it, yeah, your investment advisors, and you know that cash management structure is very appropriate for a company. And then let's slip down to the liability side. Let's take a look at the loans that you have. Sometimes if there's a CFO out there that has been in the business less than 15 years, they've never had to really deal with mm-hmm. uh, a ugly interest rate environment. Mm-hmm. The CFOs that have been in business 15 years or more, they remember the need to uh, balance those interest rates, those rising interest rates, the structure that you have. So take a look at that balance sheet. See what what those liabilities are are composed of. And if there's some interest rate risk out there, seven years ago, no one cared about that. We should be caring about that now. We're, we're going to have three to, to five interest rate increases next year if the Fed holds true to what they're saying. That's Rates are historically low now. So most people can take that. But what about 2023? What if we have another two or three? We saw that back in the 70s. We you know, we, we need to prepare differently than we have the last 10 to 15 years. Got it. Okay. So as we shift and really start thinking about business expansion, are businesses having situations where they're either trying to explain what happened in 2020 when things went really far south? Or are there also businesses that are doing really well that have to convince their bank that we can't keep doing this forever because we had a uh, you know one-time set of extenuating circumstances. That's an interesting balance that we we haven't seen very often in, in the last thirty years. So let's take a look at um, car dealerships. If they could get the cars, they, they've <laughs> yeah. had great great years, right? You know that's but that's not going to be sustainable. I think that certainly I think the the folks in the industry know that things are still going to be. They're going to be good and going to continue to move forward. But again, it goes back to having that real understanding with your banker and providing all of that information because you sort of look historically. And one of the things that the government said early on was that 2020 will be one of those years that we just wipe away. And when I say government, talking about federal regulators, banking regulators, if your 2020 was bad, you definitely want them to wipe it away. But also talk to them about if you were one of those companies that had that fantastic 2020, Mm -hmm. there was a reason for that because we dumped trillions and trillions of dollars into the economy. You know, building a five-year projection is important for these companies. And that's, that goes back to their relationship with their advisors as to preparing that information wisely. Because if you give your banker a two-year projection and they look back at 20 to 21, well, that's not going to do anybody any good. They're going to say, you know what, we're going to expect you as a client 
to just kill it for the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. Have a very good uh, plan put together on a five-year projection for your banker. In general, do you see most small to mid-sized businesses, do they do a good job with those forecasts in terms of how they present them? Or is that kind of a constant pain point for bankers that they're like, oh, we can't, we can't get good visibility into what our clients are really thinking? Yeah. You know, there are some companies that do it better than others, but I think overall it's, it's something that it's very difficult for a company to, to sit down and, and try to forecast that out. You know, there are some loans that you're required. SBA loans require you to do it to your forecast and then a, potentially a, a, in the next five years. And it may only be an annual number towards the end where they want you to even forecast in the first two years, month by month. And then they say year three, four, five. But there are a lot of lenders that uh, would love to have that information. They don't necessarily require it, but if you go to them with that information, it really opens their eyes and it it, it provides instant credibility if the numbers make sense. Mm-hmm. When a banker again is advocating on your behalf, it's a huge story. Yeah. You know, you're telling the past, but your projections will show what's reality and what's not reality. Where the bank will just assume if you don't give them projections, they're going to have to make their own assumptions. Yeah. I guess building confidence with your banker in terms of not only your business, but also just your your processes. And this is how we do things. I guess, does that help in the long run in terms of how your banker, just the level of confidence they have in, in what you're doing? Yeah. You know, Dave, I think that hits the nail on the head when we, when we talk about that relationship is that a banker loses sleep at night over clients. They're not sure what they're doing, although they may be performing, making all their payments, doing the things that they've been asked to do, but they just don't understand their business. They don't hear from them enough. Mm-hmm. When things go south is when you really realize how important it is to have maintained that great bank relationship, keeping the banker informed, because then they can work with you through that process. It goes back to surprises. You know, everyone will get comfortable as long as you're performing on your loan, but still, they're a little uncomfortable. They don't know enough about you. Mm-hmm. So keeping that relationship in good times and bad times makes the world a better place. So let, let's say things are good. Would you recommend that I meet with my banker quarterly, monthly, annually, two times a year? Kind of what are your thoughts about, because I, I think your point is, is great that you want to build that relationship while times are good so that when you need and, and go and ask for something, that it's not the first time they've seen you in, in five years. There, there are requirements in every loan agreement that are signed about financials that you have to provide. Mm-hmm. So we all do that, and that's great. You get them electronically, you get them by mail. But I would say a face-to-face meeting on a quarterly basis, certainly at a minimum, works really well. An annual meeting is great if you're looking at the, the whole year in perspective, but that's, that's not the singular time that you make communication with the bank. I mean, it really – you should expect that out of your bank. You, your bank should want to meet with you and you should want to meet with them on that quarterly basis just to see where things are going. Mm-hmm. If you've got a client that doesn't want to meet on a quarterly basis, if you're a banker, you're scratching your head going, okay, why? What's going on? Am I going to get surprised at the end of the year? Right. And do those meetings go both ways? I mean, when when you let's say you meet quarterly with your banker, if the banker's good, I assume they'll give you coaching and insights into what they're seeing at all their other clients or things that they should be thinking about, potential strategies. I mean, is that an expectation I should have of my banking relationship? 
Well, it is. You talked about surprises a while ago, Dave, and a banker hates to be surprised. There's one other person that hates to be surprised more than the bank, and that's the business owner. When he's Mm -hmm. meeting with the banker six months into the relationship and the bank says, things have changed. You know, we're going to have to do this. We're going to have to do something else. So with that, that's a surprise. Business owner can't react as quickly as the bank. Mm -hmm. But if you're meeting on a quarterly basis, those, those surprises should be far and few between. So last question in this business expansion uh, section here. Are there other government programs or things that are on the horizon that businesses need to be thinking about? You know, we've talked about in the, you know, going back a couple of years, the Paycheck Protection Program, Employee Retention Tax Credits. Are there other things that, that I should be at least aware of? You know, you remember a conversation we had early on and, and you know, the SBA stubbed their toe a little bit early on. But I think most people predicted that by the end of this thing, they were going to be the organization that was going to help companies move forward out of this. Mm-hmm. They've put programs together that are still going to pop up that that we don't even know about yet. That, for example, some of the meat processing plants, things of that nature, the USDA, they're going to put grants together uh, low interest rate loans and loan guarantees. Now that will be for s- different industries, but those are things that banks, whether they're in a rural or a non-rural environment, they will have programs that will come along. With that, as many banks weren't SBA lenders before the pandemic, mm-hmm. most of them are now in some way, shape, or form. Okay. So they've they've broadened their expertise for clients. So clients will, if they have a bank that wasn't typically involved in that, you know, they, they, they are now, uh, but let's, let's say it's not about SBA. There are some businesses that can't qualify for SBA or need larger lending. Well, all of this process has, you know, I, I think caused the banks to rethink what they do. As I started out at the very beginning, they're, they're more interested in lending to clients now. You know, clients should be more interested in taking advantage of that. The only, you know, the only thing that, that uh, both client and bank need to focus on from that very beginning is starting that relationship the right way. All the information, the banker has everything they need and moving forward. It's an opportune time to, to be meeting with your banker explain that you're getting out of the, the situation that we've all been in and, you know, where are you going to be for me in three to five years and have your banker tell you that. They're happy to talk to clients that want to borrow if they're good clients. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, well, thank you, Paul. We appreciate you coming and joining us. Now it's time for the the Make It Count segment of the But Who's Counting podcast, which is, you know, we, we try to identify one key takeaway, uh, one key action item that based on our conversation and topic that you think business owners really need to be aware of and have on their radar. So from your perspective in, in this, as we shift from business survival to recovery to expansion, you know, what should, what's the one thing that business owners really should be thinking about and contemplating right now? Well, I think if you're a company that has come through the survival and you've come through the recovery, it's probably no better time than now to expand. Mm-hmm. Plenty of money available. The market's strong enough. The only thing that I would say, Dave, is to be very strategic and intentional about your growth. Before, sometimes it was just growth for the sake of growing. Mm-hmm. We need brick and mortar. We need those types of things. So uh, if I'm a, a CFO or a CEO of a company, I'm sitting down looking at the growth that we want but being very intentional about that. Make sure that it meets with our strategic plan. And what happens in five years if all of this money that's been pumped into the economy, all these trillions of dollars of stimulus money, if that starts to slow down, does that still match your growth? And if the answer is yes, then do it before interest rates really get high. I would say growth in the next 24 months is pretty important if you really have that on your horizon for the next five years. Great. Thank you, Paul. 
All right. We've been visiting today with Paul Ray, who's with Anders CPAs and Advisors and helps clients, uh, advises them on uh, government programs, banking relationships, and just how they can be more effective businesses. So thank you, Paul. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for joining the But Who's Counting podcast. Make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think by rating and reviewing. Connect with me, Dave Hartley, on LinkedIn and keep up with more Anders CPAs and Advisors insights by following us on social media through the handles in the show notes. We'll see you next time.